Live as children of light. And find out what pleases the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and and in his his mighty mighty power. power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But against the rulers. Against the authorities. Against the powers of this dark world. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. darkness. But rather expose them. Expose them. Expose them. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand Stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. With your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Take up the shield of faith. With which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Stand firm and live as children of light. Stand firm and live as children of light. Stand firm and live as children of light. Stand firm. All righty, Grace Church. How you guys doing today? All right. <laughs> My name is Dan, uh, like Steve said, and uh, I lead student ministries here at the Medina East Campus. So uh, again, as he said, if you're, if you're a guest or uh, if it's your, you know, one of your first times here or you're newer, we're just so grateful that you're here. We love you guys. We're, we're hyped to be hanging out with you. And if you're online, we just want to say hello, welcome, and, and we hope you feel welcomed and loved wherever you're at. We love you, and we're glad that we can uh, connect. And so yeah. Uh, we're here, we're, we're trying to rock and roll, uh, and it's cool, as we've been in this series called Dangerous Living, Dangerous Living, and basically what we're talking about is this idea of spiritual warfare, and spiritual warfare is a pretty t- a kind of trippy concept, a lot of times, you know, we, we sort of kind of skirt around it sometimes, because it's sort of, it's sort of a, a, a wild concept, but the basic idea uh, in this series, and, and really in the Bible, is that there is actually an unseen realm that there is a, a reality beyond what we can see or kind of quantify uh, in a sort of uh, very clear way. There's something beyond or outside of what we can see. But that that spiritual realm, that unseen realm, actually impacts and influences the things that we can see. And so for lives that are getting jacked up, for people who are going through pain and suffering, for all the kind of whacked out things that are happening in our world, we can actually see that that is sort of an expression of what's happening in the unseen realm. And it's a spiritual war, and it's very dangerous. And so we need to be aware of that and be cautious and and, and kind of learn to stand firm in that, which is what we're trying to do in this series, to learn how to stand firm in the victory of Jesus, in the victory of Jesus. And so I'm excited to continue uh, in the series today as we get into Ephesians chapter 6. That's where we're going to be hanging out. So if you have a Bible, if you want to open that thing up or blast open your device to Ephesians chapter 6, that's going to be pretty cool. If you didn't bring a Bible, we actually have some for you in the chairs uh, underneath you, so you can find Ephesians 6 on page uh, 817 in those Bibles, and we say this all the time, if you don't own a Bible, you can just take one of those black ones and make it a gift from us to you. We think it is super important that you have a copy of God's Word, so please uh, make that, uh, you know, just make that a gift. Write your name in it. It's for you, all right? So, Before we start, like I said, I lead student ministries with my wife and my kids, uh, Scott and James. They're both involved, and and we just have a blast, like, hanging out. And our high school ministry is really cool. It's this thing called Ignite, 
all right? And so Ignite is like our, our kind of high school large group, and we meet on Wednesday nights and have a really sweet time hanging out. But uh, something cool has been happening recently. God has been doing stuff in my heart and, and in the hearts of a lot of the students, and, and we're really seeing something powerful and, and, and exciting happening. And one of the things that we've been into uh, for the past couple weeks was we were in this series on apologetics. And apologetics kind of uh, interacts with or investigates the literal physical death of Jesus and the literal historical resurrection and all these arguments about the existence of God. It's kind of like a reasoned defense of the legitimacy of faith in the reality of Jesus and what the Bible presents. And so those of you that know me uh, know that I get to be a pretty emotional guy. I get pretty like animated and pretty excited, especially when we start talking about the cross and about the resurrection, because while this isn't kind of the necessarily the main focus of my message today, the cross and the resurrection is the eternal resounding and central truth of uh, the way of Jesus. And if you're newer or if you're trying to figure out where you're at with Jesus or what it's all about, I'm telling you, this is central and it is huge and it is powerful and profound. And, and all of heaven is just vibrating and screaming that this is true and that it's meaningful and it's a big deal. And so, because that's the case, you know, I get real hyped up about it. This has transformed my life and I get all like animated and freaked out about it. But in the apologetic series uh, that we were in, what I was trying to do was sort of just to present a kind of linear and clear and logical and factual uh, explanation for why it is legitimate to believe in the things of God. And so, I did this teaching the other night where I just basically laid out the facts, just, just the facts, cold, hard facts. And then I ended with this video from this uh, app called Reasonable Faith. And so Reasonable Faith is pretty cool. If you or somebody you know is, is actually trying to figure out where you stand with, if you believe that God's legit or whatever, Reasonable Faith is a cool app that you could get and check out. But basically in this teaching, I just laid out the cold, hard facts, and then we watched this video from reasonable faith, and then I prayed, and that was it. It was pretty, almost like kind of just cold and emotionless, like here's the details, A plus B equals C, bada bing, bada boom, dig it or don't, those are, that's the, those are the facts, Jack. But then as kind of a side note, or almost as kind of an afterthought, what we did after that teaching was we played this music from uh, Spotify to bring the vibes in a little bit, right? We wanted to kind of even out the facts with the vibes, and I thought, okay, this will be cool, the kids will hang out and whatever, eat chips and do whatever teenagers do and, and stuff, and it'll be cool. And I thought it was just going to be like, okay, normal night, teaching, whatever. But something really uh, mind-blowing and profound happened uh, this evening, just a couple weeks ago. And I feel like, I almost feel like I can't articulate it uh, adequately enough, but I, I just want to say that what happened was somehow the interaction of the reality of the facts and the clear presentation of A plus B equals C and Jesus is legit and that's the deal, coupled with or interacting with the vibes that were presented and, and listening to the music and, and, and interacting with those things, somehow there was this incredible experience that occurred in the hearts and the lives of a lot of the students there. And, the, and their hearts were kind of softened and they were interacting with God in a really serious and sweet way. And so the thing is about my students is that, is that they're all in a different place. They're all going through different stuff. They all have different experiences, different knowledge, different personalities. And each one of them is going through some different kind of pain or some um, guilt or, or working through some challenging thing. You know, high school is, is a challenging time, and these kids are really trying to figure it out and go for it. But in that place, what I'm telling you, in, in, that, uh, in that space just the other night, in the interaction between these facts and these vibes, the cold, hard truth, and then this music and the reality of the presence of Jesus, man, it, it moved powerfully on them. And for about a half an hour, this group of students were worshiping Jesus 
in, in a posture of, of recognizing his superiority and his beauty, and they engaged with him, and, and there was crying and excitement and joy and liberation and, and vulnerability, <laughs> the kind of vulnerability that, that we long for and, and, and that we, we want to, to be open and to be known and to experience something real and true, and we saw it happen the other night. And the reason why I'm bringing that to your attention and why I'm trying to bring this information to you is because here's what I know about you. And here's what I know about me, is that all of us are different people, right? We're a room filled with people with all different kinds of stories and experiences and pain and fear. Every one of our stories is completely unique, and we have, uh, you know, different details, right? And so some of us are feeling uh, this weight of, of physical pain, right? We actually are suffering physically, or maybe we're suffering emotionally. There's some emotional pain that's really deep and hard in our lives, and maybe we're experiencing some kind of shame. We're, we're, we're rem- remembering and thinking about something that, that happened in our lives or some, some pain that has, that, that has been done to us and, and we don't know how to get over that or how to deal with it and we're really wrestling through it. And maybe for you, you're, you're going through some kind of guilt and you're thinking about the things that you've done in your life, the decisions, maybe the bad or terrible decisions that you've made and the ramifications of those decisions and we're wrestling through these things or fear Right? We're living in a world right now that is kind of conducive to uh, an atmosphere or, or, or a pressure to feel fear. Am I going to get it together? Am I going to do the right stuff? My business, my money, my kids, school, health, the holidays, tension, race, racial, political tensions, family drama, the pandemic. It's, it's this whole swirling mess that is occurring. And every single one of us has experienced and is experiencing some degree of pain or shame or guilt or fear and we all have different personalities, and we all have different approaches to Jesus, and we're trying to figure it out, right? We're trying to, trying to figure out how to navigate this, this time in our lives. And some of us are more kind of objective-minded, right? We try, to, we try to know objective reality and truth and cold, hard facts and get the details and get the exact, precise, like, I'm this way, and this, and this, this means this, means this, and that's how I'm going to do it. And that's how I think, and that's how I interact with reality. And even for people who follow Jesus, you know, there, there are people who follow Jesus that are about correct in biblical interpretation and apologetics and doctrine and details, and that's it, right? And that's their, that's their MO. They get all hyped about that. And that's cool. And then on the other side, you got people who are maybe a little bit more subjective, the feelers, the feelers in the room who are all about harmony and they process with their heart and maybe a little bit softer on the details and a little stronger on the emotions, you know, not cold, hard facts, more about the warm, soft feelings. And even people who follow Jesus, you know, they're not, not maybe as much about like the doctrine, but they're about having an experience or, or feeling a presence, right? And so those are both kind of ways that we can approach or, or whatever, wherever you fall on this, on this like spectrum. What I want you to know is that when we look, when we actually look at Jesus and we look at who he truly and actually is, what I want you to recognize and what I want you to know is that both are really super duper important and necessary. They're both important because there is something very, very powerful about uh, an integration and, and an interaction between the objective known facts about who Jesus is and then a personal embrace and a personal experience and an application of that in the very substance of your life, all right? And so we need doctrine and we need facts and we need objective, known stuff. We need the details, but we need to embrace that personally and subjectively, all right? Especially because, as we've said in this series, we are in a war. We're in a spiritual war. We're in a war. 
And this war is not against flesh and blood, but it is against the spiritual forces of darkness that are real. And we've emphasized that over the course of the past couple of weeks. And so if you want to get caught up on what we've been talking about, that'd be really cool. But yeah, we said it's spiritual. It's not against flesh and blood. And that it's methodical, that the enemy that we have has schemes to attack and to, and to manipulate and to deceive. And he, and he cunningly orchestrates things. It's not just random, but our enemy is methodical with his schemes to attack and to harm us. And we've said that it's personal, that the battle isn't just out there, like, oh yeah, out there, it's spiritual warfare out there. But it is actually personal. And it's so personal that it is occurring within our minds. It's a battle of the mind. And so it is spiritual, methodical, and personal, and it's terrifying, and it's really life and death. It's, spiritual warfare is life and death. And it's terrifying unless there is some kind of victory. And what we've been saying in this series is that there is victory in the name of Jesus, and that God provides the armor to stand. He provides what we need to engage in this battle and to stand firm in the victory of Jesus. And so last week, Pastor Tony talked about the belt of truth. And he talked about applying all the different aspects of who God is and what he's done, the, the, God, the, the story, the good news of the gospel, applying that personally and taking that on and engaging with it. But today we're gonna talk more about this objective idea, about the idea of objective truth. And eventually we're gonna end on talking about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And again, what I wanna emphasize for you is, as we look at this, is that wherever you're at, all right, if you're a more like facty fact person, check, you know, all the know all the stuff kind of person, or if you're just like a vibey, feel it out kind of like whatever, feel the vibes person, is that there is incredible power and beauty in an integration and an interaction and an expression of both of those things. They're both crucial and critical and super duper important, all right? And the reason why this is all important is because this is all about truth, that truth is the central kind of important factor in what we're dealing with. And the reason why when we engage in spiritual warfare, truth is so important is because our enemy is a deceiver, that there is a real enemy in our midst, and he hates us, and he wants to deceive. He is a liar. He's been a liar from the beginning, and when he lies, he speaks his native tongue, and he's the opposer. He hates you. He hates your family. He hates you being successful and, and, and experiencing the, jo- the real success, spiritual success in an experience of the presence of Jesus. He hates that. He doesn't want you to be experiencing that. And he hates your kids and he hates this church. And, you know, we all woke up this morning thinking, whatever, okay, I got to deal with this. I got to do this. Okay, holidays, uh, coffee, I don't know. But man, what was on the enemy's mind and what is on the enemy's mind today is how can I kill you? How can I destroy you? How can I ruin your marriage? How can I ruin that church? How can I destroy everything that is good and beautiful in your life and make you suffer and rot and die? That's what's on the mind of the enemy. He's the opposer and he's real. And he's the accuser. He accuses God. He accuses you. He accuses others. And he does this with lies. He hates you and he's a liar and he's real. And so what we've said is that, man, that sucks and that's a bummer unless... Something is more superior and more powerful than that. And fortunately for us, Jesus, who is the truth, destroys the deceiver. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And Jesus came to destroy the work of the enemy. And on the cross, Jesus triumphed. He put the enemy to open shame by triumphing over him on the cross. And so in resurrection, Jesus reigns supreme. 
Jesus is victorious and exalted and he is our resurrected savior and he's alive and he's supreme and he's victorious, which is why we say around here all the time, followers of Jesus are not fighting for victory, but we are fighting from victory. We're fighting from victory. And there is victory in Jesus, my savior forever. There is, there's victory. And the beautiful thing is that he has already won. Jesus has won. And the victory is so firmly established and, and solid and secure that we can stand, that we can stand firm on that. Which is why in Ephesians, this is what the author of Ephesians, Paul, he instructs followers of Jesus to stand firm, to stand firm, not on our own personal victory and not in our own strength or in our own armor, not because we know how to do spiritual jujitsu or we have the right things done, like we know the right moves or whatever, but the victory is Jesus. It's Jesus' victory, and it's Jesus' strength, and it is God's armor. God, it is the armor of God that is provided for us to stand in this, in this victory. And the reality is that we, we are actually the greatest and the most uh, effective when we recognize and stand in our weakness. And when we stand in dependence and when we stand in, in a recognition of our need and our emptiness without, without Christ but when we do that and when we engage with him, when we embrace the power of God and we put on the full armor, it is an incredibly powerful uh, ability to stand firm. And so as we've said, you know, the armor of God, it's kind of just his illustration. This would have been really helpful for the original readers because uh, a lot of Roman soldiers were common. This book was written in approximately 62 AD. And so the Roman, you know, empire was a big deal at that time. But we don't want to press the word picture too far. We're trying to interpret correctly. And so we want to just try to really get at what Paul is trying to teach in this passage. But it is really super important to recognize that it is armor. It's armor. And Paul doesn't say, you know, stand in the pajamas of God or stand in the leisure suit of God. And he's trying to emphasize that it is a war. It's a real war. And we are called to stand in Jesus' victory and in God's armor. And so we're going to get into Ephesians uh, 6, starting in verse 14 here, but I'm just going to drop a quick prayer on us because it's a war. And I'm going to be honest with you, even right now, the enemy does not want you to hear God's word, and he doesn't want you to receive it. He wants you to reject it or to make up some kind of excuse why it isn't legit. And so I'm going to invite God and beg him to make it clear that this is the truth. Father, I love you so much, and man, it makes me feel so um, excited to know that we can stand in your victory. And so as I said, and as I know you know, Lord Jesus, more, more intimately than anyone, that there are people in here who are suffering and going through things and trying to figure it out. And it's heavy, Father, it's a heavy time. And so I'm begging you right now that in the way that that heaviness is applying to each person in this room, that you reveal your truth, that you bind the enemy and keep him away from the ability of the people in this room to hear what you want them to hear. Please speak boldly and clearly and, 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 and effectively and reach and, and penetrate into the hearts and the minds of the people in this room by the power of your word and by the power of your spirit. We invite you in. And for those online as well, God, I lift them up and I ask that you move on them to receive your truth and to receive your love in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're the king, amen. Okay, so Ephesians uh, 6, starting in verse 14, he says here, stand firm. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And so last week we talked about uh, the belt of truth. Tony did a sweet job just bringing the heat. But today we're going to start by talking about the breastplate of righteousness. And so I know that righteousness is kind of a, you know, a little bit of a churchy word. 
you know, you don't really hear too much outside of church, or maybe like 90s extreme sports, like, right, maybe if there's like uh, somebody who's uh, really good at uh, inline skating, or what do they call that, Rollerbla- rollerblading, is that it, like, you know, rollerblading, and then they do like a cool quick, and they're like, righteous, or something, right, <laughs> I was thinking about like, I used to have a PlayStation <laughs> 1, and I had this game called Cool Borders, and there was like a, con- this is like, has nothing to do with anything, but like, I just want to share it with you. So I had this, it was uh, Cool Borders, and like, there was like a commentator on the, <laughs> on the thing. So if you do a cool move, the commentator on the, on the video game would be like, righteous. <laughs> so here's what righteousness means. Uh, integrity <laughs> and virtue and purity of life. It means like being a good person, correctness of thinking, feeling and acting, okay? So basically just like be a good person or be good at, be good at, you know, whatever, ollies and kickflips and stuff. Um, I've totally lost my train of thought here. Let's see. Basically, be a good person. Oh, yeah. So basically, just be a good person. Be reasonable. Be kind. Be good. Like, don't, don't do bad stuff because standing in victory, standing in the victory of Jesus is a lot easier if you're not blowing your life up with being a terrible person, okay? And so if you're aware of things that are bad or immoral or jacked up or uh, evil or deceitful, don't do that. Like, don't give the enemy a chance to jack up your life with that. For example, Romans 6, it says, offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Be good. Do good stuff, all right? Do good stuff. That's a big, that's a big Jesus up thing to do is to do good stuff. But there's actually a really big problem with that because the Bible actually teaches that there is none righteous, no, not one, and that we have all sinned, and we all fall short of the glory of God, that the whole world is infected with unrighteousness and sin and decay, total bummer all over the place. And so in the midst of evil and in the context of this broken, broken and painful world, it's God that wears the breastplate of righteousness. And so Isaiah 59 uh, verse 17 says, he who put on righteousness as his breastplate, referring to God himself, that God is the one who is righteous. God is righteous. And we are not righteous, which again is a terrible big bummer, like big bummer that we're not righteous. And as the Bible says, all have sinned. This is a terrible, huge bummer. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And so we are in a terrible position unless God intervenes and does something and makes it possible for us to somehow get a hold of this righteousness, which is why the the truth of Jesus is so profound because while we we're still yet sinners. Christ died for us. And check this out. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so in Christ, in Christ, in our, in our relationship with him, we are declared righteous. We are declared righteous. Right? And then we, we live out that identity. We, we, we grow and learn and discover how to live out what has been declared true because of our interaction with Jesus. In war, this is super duper beneficial and strategic to say, I'm not gonna get entangled in all these things that are gonna blow my life up, but I'm gonna stand firm and I'm gonna wear this righteousness and I'm gonna live out my identity and who I've been declared to be in Christ, which is righteousness, okay? And so that's the breastplate. But then he goes on to talk about the kicks. And so he says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. 
And so, again, we got this word picture, a Roman soldier, and so I want to show you a, a replica of a soldier's boots, okay? So here's a picture of what a Roman's boots would have looked like, pretty, pretty fashionable. These are actually, this model is actually the Yeezy AD60s, which I, if you guys need, I know a guy, and we got, I got, if you guys need, it's, they're about 350, but we can work a deal or whatever, we'll talk. But the, so there you go. Okay, so he says stand firm, and so the reason why Roman soldiers were able to stand firm and why they were able to hold their ground was because their feet were fitted with these boots. And these boots, the Roman soldiers had these boots that had these nails in the soles of the boots. And so these cleats, they were like cleats. And these cleats would assure traction in the, in the war and in the battle. And as they're trying to stand firm, Roman soldiers would be wearing these boots so that they could hold their ground. And so when Paul says, stand firm, and he's talking about the, their feet are fitted, he, he, I think in some ways he has this image but he starts to couple it with these other concepts of the Bible that are so beautiful. And he says, yeah, with your feet fitted, with the readiness that comes from the gospel, with the gospel of peace, the gospel of peace. And so the gospel is something that we are all about at this church. We love the gospel, and the gospel is our deal. We love the gospel. And the word gospel, it means good news. It means good news. But it's actually more specifically like an announcement of good news. And the gospel of Jesus is that, is that Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what he's accomplished, the kingdom that he has brought to us, the gospel ultimately is that Jesus is Lord. That's the good news. That's the announcement of the king, that Jesus is Lord. And because Jesus is Lord and he has conquered death and he reigns supreme, man, and because of the sweeping implications of his lordship, it means that all of the cosmos are going to be finally and fully restored. Everything broken about the universe is going to be restored, including those who put their faith in Jesus. And not only is the gospel this incredible sweeping picture of everything that, that is happening because of Jesus, it also has personal application. And it means that even though I have chosen to go my own way and I am a sinner, that I can be redeemed if I put my faith in Christ in earnest truth and engage with his saving power that I can be saved and I can spend eternity in bliss and harmony with my creator and in a flourishing experience of his love and creativity. And so it means peace. The gospel actually means peace. It means peace with God. It means peace with others. It means peace with nature. Everything is redeemed. And the war is over. The war is over. Victory in Jesus. And what's so trippy, though, about this idea of peace is, though, not only is it this idea of the war being over, and it definitely is that, but it's actually more than that. It's not just the absence of war. It also carries with it, biblical peace also carries with it this idea of shalom, which is this idea of, of wholeness, or a kind of, like, integrated, uh, harmonious flourishing, all the different components of life and everything working together. The war is over. Now we can really flourish and thrive and grow and express the creativity and the love that God has given us to express. And so I think all these concepts, this idea of the war being over, the idea of a new king and this flourishing and this shalom, I think this is rattling around in Paul's mind as he's writing this. And he is probably in some way referencing Isaiah 52, 7, which says, how beautiful on the mountains, how beautiful. On the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, and who bring good, good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, 
your God reigns, who say to the, to the city of God, to God's beloved city, your God reigns. And that is the gospel, the declaration that Jesus reigns and that he's victorious. And then that means something about us personally. And we actually proclaim that at this church and that the, the eternal church of Jesus Christ has been proclaiming this gospel for a very long time, the ancient proclamation of the gospel. And here it is, Jesus reigns, Jesus reigns. Right now, he's enthroned and he reigns. And Jesus is the king. He's the king of glory. He's the king of grace. He is enthroned in love and justice and truth and mercy. And Jesus reigns and he's real and he's alive. And so this is good news because he's a good king and he's victorious. And so what we need to do when we recognize that Jesus reigns and that he's victorious is we need to like really dig our Yeezys deep into the ground of victory to dig them deep and to stand firm, Jesus reigns, which is all really awesome. And I could get hyped up about that for as long as you would give me, but he goes on and he says, in addition to all this, like as if this isn't enough, he says, uh, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And again, like I said, I would love to geek out about the shield and the helmet, but I want to just kind of uh, go quickly through these ideas for the sake of time. And so a shield, it protects the body, all right? And the Roman shield, it was kind of wrapped in leather and soaked in water. And in war, in real actual war, like they would hurl flaming projectiles at Roman soldiers. And because this shield was soaked and wrapped in, in, in water, they would get extinguished. These flaming projectiles would get extinguished when they would butt into this uh, shield, all right? And so, again, we need to recognize that our enemy, he does that kind of stuff. He always is trying to hurl uh, in insults and accusation and oppression and, and, and lies and deception. He's doing everything he can constantly to bombard you with these flaming arrows of his antagonism, always, always on you, all the time. And so we need to allow our faith to, to absorb that and to extinguish it and to say, no. That is not what the deal is. I have faith. And the thing is, faith, you know, is kind of in our culture, it, it sometimes gets a little bit confused because we throw the word faith around as if it's just like really trying really, really hard to believe in something that's fake or, or wrong, right? Like, I have faith that I'm going to win the lottery. Or like, I, ha I really have faith that I'm going to win American Idol or something like that. And the reality is, is that faith, biblical faith, it's not just gritting your teeth to try to convince yourself to believe something that isn't true. Real, true biblical faith is actually believing something that is true, even though it might be a little bit scary or hard to engage with it or to, to believe it. It would be like if there was a zip line, you know, and there's a long cable, and maybe you can't see all the way to the other side where it's anchored to, but people who you trust and who you love and who have had the experience of going on that zip line say to you, hey, you can trust this. You can clip to it. And faith is saying, okay, I'm going to entrust myself. I expect, I have an expectation and a hope that this is going to hold my weight. And faith is jumping off the edge and saying, I believe this is going to hold on to me. I might be scared. It might be hard to see all the details, but I believe it, all right? And so that is what biblical faith is. And we have the shield of faith available to us to extinguish the flaming darts of the enemy. And the helmet of salvation. Now, obviously, a, you know, a helmet protects the head. And salvation, in the clearest and, and, and um, kind of simplest way that I can say it, is life. Salvation is life, is life in Jesus. 
And so what we need to do, because the battle is in the mind and because there's all this drama and nonsense rattling in our minds and the enemy is coming and trying to deceive and manipulate us, we need to continue to rehearse the, the value and the beauty of salvation. And like the psalmist says, restore unto me the joy of salvation. Keep salvation in my mind. Help me to continue to rehearse the power of your love. And so that's where the battle is. It's in the mind. And again, Paul says, don't let the enemy deceive and don't let him go there with you, okay? So take up the shield, take up the helmet. And then he says this, take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so he ends with the sword, the sword of the spirit, man, the sword of the spirit. And I love the sword. I love the sword a lot. And so obviously, you know, Roman soldiers, they would tuck the sword right into the belt. You know, it would be right there. And the reason why it was tucked in and it was close and it was right there is because they wanted it to be close and accessible, instantly ready to be, to be used and to be accessed. And so commentators pretty much universally agree that he's referring to what's called the Roman gladius, all right? This would be about two feet long. And he's, I think he, he's really drawing on this, on this imagery of, of a soldier because in the same way that armor isn't pajamas, man, a, a sword is not a toothbrush, and a sword is not a loofah. A sword is an implement of war and of violence and of, and of destruction, right? This is spiritual. We're talking about spiritual warfare. We're not talking about spiritual patty cake or whatever. And it's life. It is life and death. It's life and death. And so it's a tool of war. And so, you know, here's the thing. Again, it's this, this weapon in particular, and Roman soldiers would be trained in this diligently and vigilantly, would be a, a, an implement for close close combat, right? Within two, two feet, you got. And so this is when the enemy is right up on you. They're up, they're up in your grill. They're up in your space. And they are intimately and intensely, visibly in, up in your stuff. And so this is when, for us, this is when, man, the enemy is up in my family. And the enemy is up in my, my thoughts and up in my situations and up in my relationships. And, and it's not, it's, it's personal, and it's close, and it's intimate, and I can feel, and I can smell, and I can, I can, I can experience this closeness in this attack, right? And this, this gladius, man, it's designed to, to cut. It's violent and aggressive because this is a war. And so what, what I'm telling you is when the enemy comes up into your grill and gets up in your space, and when he is doing what he can to destroy you and to hurt you, what are, you going to, what are you going to cling to and what are you going to grab? He's an opposer and an accuser and a deceiver. And so what are we going to reach for? And that's why, man, the Bible says you've got to reach for the sword of the Spirit because we stand in God's victory. And the Holy Spirit is himself God. The Holy Spirit is God. And even though we stand in a defensive position, we stand in a defensive position, man, the Spirit empowers the attack of the sword of the Spirit. We stand defensively, but the Holy Spirit himself and the proclamation of his inspired word is the greatest offensive weapon against the attack of the enemy. And so it's the sword of the Spirit. It is the word of, of God. The Bible, the Bible, it's the word of God. And what I wanna share with you guys is that, man, it's not a joke. It's not a joke. It's the word of God. It's the word of God. And here's what I want you to know, and this is so profound and, and deep and true, and here, here's what it is, is that all scripture is inspired by God, 
All scripture is inspired by God. And it's profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness so that the followers of Jesus can be equipped for every good work, that we can be equipped and then we can have what we need to see and to discern and to move forward and to, and to hold the ground that has been won for us in the person of Jesus. And not only that, man, this book is not dead. This isn't a dead book. It was inspired by the living God and God is still alive. The Holy Spirit is alive and is present when we read it. It's not alive. The word of God is living and it is active and it is sharper than any two-edged sword and it pierces even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. It cuts all the way. This book cuts all the way down, all the way down. It's the word of the living God. This is the word of the living God. And so here's what I want to do is I want to tell you guys something, all right? Ladies and gentlemen, this is a Bible. And it was, it was written on three different continents, three different continents over the course of 1,500 years, 1,500 by over 40 different authors from kings to peasants to doctors to fishermen to prisoners, to, to preachers, rich people, poor people wrote this book, educated and uneducated people wrote this book. And I'm telling you that this book, the, whole, the Holy Bible, <laughs> it has captivated more brilliant minds and softened more hardened hearts and transformed more jacked up lives, tra- completely transformed more jacked up lives, myself included, my life included. It has done that more than any other collection of writings in the history of humanity. And that's the truth. And it is sweeter than honey. And it is more precious than gold. It's, it's, it's sweet and it's precious. And it's stronger than any hammer. It's stronger than any hammer. And it's more enduring than heaven and earth. Heaven and earth will pass away, but this book will not pass away. The word of almighty living God and it's available to us, and it teaches and convicts and encourages and it equips us, and it reveals, it's like a mirror. It reveals things that I need to know about myself. God wants me to know stuff about me, and he helps me to see that in his word, and he wants me to know stuff about him, and I can discover it in his word. And especially, most especially, as we are in a war, a war that is being waged for our lives, the Bible is a profound, profound weapon against the incessant, unending lies and deception and manipulation of our vicious and disgusting enemy. And it is a weapon against those lies and against his nonsense. And it stands true and stands firm. It's the Bible, all right? And so here's what I'm telling you. I will put it to you this way, is that the Bible is awesome. You need it really bad, for real. You need it, you need it. It's the Bible. And I would spend all day and all night, every day, for as long as you would listen to me telling you, the Bible's legit, the Bible's legit. And I spent a long time in my life thinking, yeah, maybe, I don't know, you know a lot of people's stuff, you know, maybe this, maybe that, I don't know. You know, I spent a long time doing that, I really did. I spent a quarter of a century doing that. And it wasn't until I came to the recognition that, wait a minute, man, maybe this thing is legit. And when I actually went for it and engaged, I'm telling you, my life changed, my life changed dramatically changed. And we want that for you. We want that for you. So you might be asking, so what? What do I do with a message like this? And here's what I'm going to tell you to do. You got to get acquainted with the Bible, all right? You got to get acquainted with 
the blade. And you might be like, how do I do that? Maybe you've been coming around for a little while. Maybe it's your first time here. You're online, whatever. What do I do? What do I do? How do I get, how do I get it? How do I get involved? And how do I get uh, all Bibled up? And here are some suggestions, all right, as practical as I can get for you, is get in a life group, all right? We call life groups our biblical community, biblical community. They're centered in, in the, the expression of and the inter- interaction with the Bible. And this is the environment where people can speak biblical truth into your life. You can speak biblical truth into other people's lives. People can grow in their understanding of the Bible. It's about life groups. This is where, you know, maybe you have questions or whatever. Come talk to people, interact and engage. Life group, you need it. You need it so bad for so many reasons. But Bible, like growing in your Bible vibes is the deal in life group. And like I said, you could take one. If you don't have a Bible, you could take one of ours. Make it a gift for real and write your name in it. That's your Bible. And if you don't know where to start, you could start in the Gospel of Luke. Chapter two of Luke is really cool. It's where Linus, it's where Linus reads in the, uh, in the Charlie Brown Christmas. Linus reads some of chapter two of Luke in Charlie Brown Christmas. So if you like Charlie Brown, take a Bible uh, and read Luke or whatever you want. Or maybe uh, you're not into that and you, know, you don't wanna have physical copies of stuff. We have the version app available for free. It's, it's just a, an app. And, and if you don't like reading that much, you could press a button and it will read out loud to you. It will read it to you. You could carry it around in your pocket and God, at any moment, you could be like, oh, I wonder what God thinks about stuff and press a button and God will be talking to you. And that's available. We have reading plan. You could go on Google and, 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 and just, just Google reading plan for beginners or reading plan, intermediate reading plans or whatever you wanna do. It's available for you. You can come out. I'm gonna be hanging out in the cafe. I will help you find a reading plan. There's all kinds of people around that would love to help hook you up with figuring out a way to get the Bible into you because it's a war, man, and you need it. And if you're like, you know, maybe you're into animated stuff or, you, you know, you think more visually, there's this thing called the Bible Project on YouTube. And I'm telling you, man, we love the, 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 the Bible Project around here because they, they explain every book of the Bible. There are little videos that explain every book. And maybe you're like medium good at the Bible, but then you got to Malachi and you start getting confused or something. And man, you know, the Bible Project will hook you up with Malachi or whatever. And that's available for you. We love it. Uh, a little while ago, we did this series called You Are Here. And we basically did just like an overview of the whole Bible, the whole narrative of Scripture and, and the story of Jesus in, in the Bible. And that's online on our website. And this other thing we have called How to Study Your Bible on uh, E4. It's, we have this thing called E4. It's like a, you know, a study and disciple-making tool. So that's online as well. And I'm telling you guys the truth. When I started following Jesus, I actually did this How to Study Your Bible series on, on E4. And, and I'm here, like, look, I'm telling you, I'm standing here. It transformed my life. It transformed my life. And I uh, wish I had time to tell you more, but I'm, I can see very vividly. I was over here, and now I am over here. And it is because I have engaged with the Bible, and I'm continuing to grow and stuff. But I once was in the dead zone. Now I'm in the living zone because of the Bible. And uh, yeah, disciple making. So one of the things we really encourage as well is that people who follow Jesus are called to make disciples, to help pour their lives into other people. And so maybe if you're somebody who's been following Jesus for a while, one of the things you could do is pour your life out and pour your knowledge and your, and your insight into the Bible out to someone else. And that helps you grow as you teach and help other, and equip others, man. You could disciple them and, and you would grow and discover the Bible more that way. Or maybe you're somebody that's, that needs to be discipled to say, man, I need somebody to teach me about the Bible-y stuff. Like, and man, that's what we're, we're longing for. So pray for and seek somebody to pour into you, all right? 
And so these are just some practical things that you could do. These aren't all of them. There's all kinds of other ways to engage with the Bible, and it's awesome. The Bible is so sweet and good. And so here's what I'm trying to tell you is that the sword is super important, all right? It's the objective truth. It's the objective truth of Almighty God. And I know that, you know, this is a church, so maybe some of you in here are actually pretty Bibled up people. And maybe you feel like the Bible is actually one of your strengths and you really know all the stuff. And so I would just encourage you and, and help, uh, I just want to hopefully, helpfully encourage you that it is referred to as the sword of the spirit and it is not the bludgeon of the flesh. And I think that people who really know the Bible inside and out sometimes have a temptation to kind of use it in a way that might not be healthy or helpful. And see, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And so we need to be very careful and recognize that it is the sword of the spirit and that it is tucked into the belt of truth. And when we, we stand in victory, when we recognize the objective, powerful, and enduring facts and truth of Jesus, and we engage with those in such a way that they interact with every part of who we are, and we apply them to the deepest parts of our heart and deepest parts of our lives, right? And here is the truth. Here, I, am, I am proclaiming truth to you. Truth is coming to you right now, and here it is. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And Jesus is king. And Jesus is alive. He's not dead. He's alive. And we have victory. And we have peace. In the name of Jesus. It's the truth. This is truth. This is truth. This is life transforming, powerful, profound, beautiful truth. And it is for you. And it's for you. And it's available. So, I'm gonna invite the band up to get rocking uh, here with us in a second, but I just wanna say again that Jesus is Lord. And the sword, the sword is about Jesus. The sword is about Jesus. It's all about him. And so in a post-resurrection conversation after Jesus conquered death and rose from the grave, this is what he said to some of his followers. He said, uh, I told you that everything written about me, everything written about me, Jesus is talking, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, and it must be fulfilled. It must be fulfilled. And then he says this, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. And that is objectively true. That happened. That reality is, 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 the, tr that is the truth. And then he says this, he says, it was also written that this message, this, it was written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. And here is the message. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. And so if you embrace the message of Jesus, if you embrace his truth and his love, and if you repent, if you, if you embrace and engage with him and turn and start to follow Jesus, you are standing in victory. You are standing in victory. You're standing in victory. And followers of Jesus are not fighting for victory, man. We're fighting from victory. And so here's what I want to encourage you with is that, man, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are standing in victory. And the victory that you're standing on is resurrect, the, re the ground of resurrection, Followers of Jesus stand in the victory of the resurrection. That's the ground that we dig our cleats into. It's the resurrection. And so I want to encourage you with that. It's the truth. And so because that is so profound and we hold it so close, I'm telling you that for those of you that are investigating or trying to figure it out, I don't know how to say it any other way than please 
embrace him. Embrace Jesus. Just embrace him. He loves you, and he wants to completely transform your life. He loves you. Embrace Jesus. And for those of you that follow Jesus, I would encourage you to embrace the full armor of God, to take it close, to tuck it in, and to not just not, not to just know it, but to let it completely transform you and not to just be able to recite the facts, but to say, man, this, this penetrates the deepest parts of my heart and is transforming me in every area. Please let it into you, let it into you. The Bible's awesome, the Bible's awesome. And it's real and you need it really bad. You need it, you, you need it, you need it really bad for real. Let's pray. Father, Man, I just want to thank you for who you are and what you do, and, uh, and I love you so much, and uh, <clears throat> I'm really just grateful that we have had this time to hear about the Bible, and I know that you love everybody in this room, and that you, you have words for them, you have words for them in this, in, in this book, that, that, that you want to minister to them and to, and to touch their hearts and to reveal your truth and to reveal your love, and you have it, and it's in this book, and it's available for them, and you want them to receive it and experience it. And so I'm asking that in a significant and powerful way, I am pleading with you, Lord Jesus, to soften hearts and to open minds, to, to, to press more deeply in to, the tr- to your truth. Please make people receptive, m- all of us, make us more receptive to your truth and your beauty and help us to use this in our uh, experience of war, to not be defeated or to not feel defeated by the attacks of the enemy, but to stand firm on your victory, on the resurrection and to wield this this sword of truth and this sword of the spirit that pierces so deeply. God, please move on each person individually to to receive and to experience your truth, the truth that you uh, are supreme and that you're the king and that you love us all. Help us, we need you. And we stand in need. We stand in awe of you and we stand in need and we stand in your victory. You're the king, amen.